Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined most of the time by... This is Big Kurt here. <laughs> Big Kurt, yeah, on Twitter. I am on Twitter, Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Uh, we are recording this on Sunday evening, the... LSU Florida State game is going on right now. It is seven to three. The start of the second quarter. I guess the under was the bet here uh, for this game. Um, fun weekend. Was it of, though? <laughs> for most, for some fans, it was. For some, it was not. Um, and 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 we didn't even discuss that we were going to discuss this before we sat down because this will be a quick discussion. Uh, the college football playoff is expanding to twelve. It was. Released at some point Friday afternoon. I don't think there's much to talk about because there wasn't anything that surprising. They're going to go to 12 teams, yeah, 12 which we teams. all thought was going to be a 100% thing about 13 to 14 months ago. Yeah, yeah. So 2026 for sure, but they're talking about as early as 2024. And uh, my, my thing that I complain the most about on Twitter is, why now, you insufferable yeah. dorks? <laughs> I, I know. I could do this on the off season. Can can you just give us the, no, the live? God for, God forbid we get week one and get to enjoy it. Even you know? if in some capacity it was week three. Not saying that that's good, but in the comparative crappiness of when to announce it, it has to be the worst time you could really pick, right? I mean, could you in pick- between Thursday nights games and Friday uh. nights games before we head into a full weekend of college football. And that's when you announce it. Because I guess they assume, I, I, I thought about this just now, that they think the majority of college football fans were going to be excited to hear this. I guess that's probably what it was. And I think, I don't know, if you polled everyone that considered themselves a college fan, it's probably, it's got to be 60% in favor, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, it. I'll say this. The older you get, it skews... Not in favor. Yeah. The younger you get, it skews in favor. There will be bonuses of it. There's going to be stuff that I'm going to watch the game. So are you. There's going to be stuff. But in the end, I don't know. Whatever. It's not what I wanted. I want I want to be on record. It's an off-season topic anyways. I think yeah. we discussed it more than we even wanted to. So we will head right into the games. One thing I would say is the Big Ten went undefeated out of conference. So if there is any losses that we are discussing. It was a loss in conference to another Big Ten team. I guess you can't go much better than that than when you go undefeated out of conference. Way to go, Big Ten. Not exactly a murderer's row of competition here uh, out of conference, but hey, there was enough fun stuff to talk about. Should we just go ahead and jump right in? Well, I wanted to say something, though. I was listening to this podcast, this new podcast. It's called Eyes on something. I don't know. Anyway, this guy Dustin Schutte mentioned me. In the same sentence as Bob Knight. So you can refer to me as Bob Knight from now on. It's still um, BK. Yeah. Still BK. Yeah. So it must be something to it. Both a little grumpy at times, too. Yes. A little bit. A little temperamental. Have you, have you ever tossed furniture around, Big Kurt? To your uh, knowledge? Yeah, I have, actually. <laughs> I've thrown a chair before. <laughs> in anger. Yeah. Man. I have. There's a lot, there's a lot of things going actually, on I have here. a story behind that one, Okay, we, for another time. All right. All right. We will jump into the games. 
For, we had two games on Thursday, September 1st. If you listened to the last podcast where I recorded with DS, shout out again to DS for filling in midweek. I had a ton of positive comments yeah. from uh, people on Twitter, people at my tailgate that listened to the podcast. It was it was awesome to hear. And the podcast has one more listener because I listened. Nice. So we picked up one for sure. We're plus one for sure. I'm going to listen every week. It was awesome. great. Awesome. Appreciate that. Some, uh, some nice zingers by DS. That's too, what by DS the way. does. Yeah. yeah. We'll, uh, once we get used to the Zoom setup, because obviously it's a little <clears throat> bit easier to talk when you're literally it physically is. sitting across the table from me, but, <laughs> but DS but... and I will, we'll fall into a, uh, you know, into a little bit more of a, a rhythm here before we get too long. Okay. But so my favorite one though, DS on Twitter. Nope. Nope. Which is great. Which is great. Proven that he's the smartest one out of the three of yes. us. So, all right. So we had two games on Thursday night, September first. As I mentioned on the uh, preview podcast, we will save the Big Ten game of the week to the end. I think we all know which one that is. So the first one we will break down is Minnesota thirty-eight, New Mexico State zero. The Gophers with four hundred and eighty-five yards of total offense to the Aggies. 91. Um, the big story of the game uh, was supposed to be the handshake or heard, heard around the world. The yep. hand, handshake heard around the world. Um, it happened both before and after the game. There were there were sluice with video cameras waiting to check it you out. You know, I, I, I'm going to call BS on you, Jerry Kill. You're a BSer. You sit here and you say you're not going to shake his hand. And then it's like completely normal and cordial. Like, why would you even say that? Yeah. I know. I mean, in this matter, okay, if you pulled Big Ten coaches on how they feel about each one of these guys, I think I know how that would come out to Big Ten coaches. I, I don't know. I mean, you're not sure. You're not as sure. Jerry doesn't seem like that likable of a guy. Okay. Okay. You could be right. Yeah. I, you're, I do not know, so you could be right. Um, but in this matter, there's no doubt to me that, that, Fleck wound up sounding and looking like the better person. Okay. I, and I would say during both handshakes, it seemed like Fleck was the one that wanted to linger and talk through things. Peach sounds like somebody seems like the type of guy that wants to talk through his feelings. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, definitely. But kudos to him for going over to kill before the game and reaching out. I, and I, my guess is he wanted to explain to him what the thought process was behind the comments that ticked. Uh, um, Jerry Kill off in the first place. I, mean, I would take I a guess. Know. By the way, Jerry Kill is getting even more southern. Like he looks like I had made a comment on Twitter. He looks like an old 49er prospector. He does. He looks like a prospector, but also I didn't recognize him. Yeah, with the beard. With the, it's it's not just a beard. I mean, it's a prospector beard. It's like that weird half in between a beard. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm not sure how to describe it exactly. But. He looks like he's lost a tremendous amount I of weight. I agree that too. Yeah. I mean, they kept so showing him like his health. And I'm like, who's this guy in the sideline? Yeah, like I literally Jerry. did not recognize yeah. him. That was, our, that was old Jerry Soda. Speaking of things that you can't describe, I'm not sure if I can describe what New Mexico State was ever trying to do on offense. Obviously, Minnesota's defense had a lot to do with that. Um, I think essentially New Mexico State just just kind of gave up. I think it was middle of the second quarter, and they realized. They just needed this football contest to get over. Before we get into the Gopher offense, that was a great showing by the Gopher defense. Was a, yeah, great showing all around. Really, this is what it's supposed to look like when you're a good Big Ten team that's going to compete for your division 
against a team like New Mexico State. They you couldn't have asked for really anything more out of Minnesota. Uh Maybe one, just a little okay, bit Okay, the wide receivers had some dropsies. There, I mean, you would hope between Dalen Wright and Brevin Span Ford, the two guys that pretty much every Gopher fan wants to see take this team into the upper echelon, right? You would you would expect they would have more than three catches for 36 yards between the two. Okay. that We are picking nits because they won 38 to nothing. By the way, took New Mexico State in the points at 36. So wow. even a field goal would have covered for me. It, I mean, zero points. You, how can you ever predict a shutout in a college football game? I, I don't know if I ever have, and I don't know if I ever will predict a shutout win. Like you should just luck yourself into a field goal attempt at some point. But that's how dominant uh, Minnesota was. Tanner Morgan had a Tanner Morgan day, thirteen to nineteen, one hundred and seventy-four yards. Uh, the defense, two sacks, two tackles, four loss. Mo Ibrahim, how great was it to see him back on the field? And Potts as well. The one-two combo looked great. They looked healthy. I think they're going to be both very productive, hopefully all year. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I With Mo Ibrahim having 21 carries, that's about five or six carries more than I thought yeah, he would get. Sure. So, but in the end, that's encouraging because it must mean that, that the Achilles uh, tendon felt good enough to rush him. Uh, Trey Potts, 89 yards. How about this? 44 and a half minutes time of possession. I mean, it was, and that was part of the issue with the passing stats. Like there, there was literally no need to to pass the ball. 297 rushing yards to 38 rushing yards. The Gophers punted one time and I think it was pretty deep into the game too. This is about as good as you can get. It was an absolute ass kicking. Minnesota moves to one and oh, moving on to Friday night, September 2nd. We had two games on Friday night as well. First game up, Michigan State 35, Western Michigan 13. I dang near nailed this score. I had I had 31 to 13. If Michigan State kicked a field goal instead of a touchdown at that last drive, I could have nailed it. I'm always looking for that perfect score. Spartans with 430 yards of total offense to the Broncos, 334. Uh, the game basically went, Michigan State jumped out. It looked like they were just going to destroy them. Yeah. Kind of. They let them hang around. That's the, that's the thing. That's my biggest complaint about how Michigan State played is they let them hang around. They didn't put them away. We, well, until the very end. Until the end. Yeah. They, I mean, they eventually did, but I mean. There was never any point where you didn't think Michigan State was no, the better football true. team. So what you're saying is understanding that they could have put this away in the middle of the third quarter. Yeah. I'm going to straddle the fencer because I liked what I saw, but there's room for improvement on both sides of the ball. I Defensively. I, offensively, Peyton Thorne looked, you know, statistically looked pretty good, but he had some some inconsistent moments in the game. And that's what's crazy is 12 of 24, so 50% completion percentage, 233 yards, but four touchdowns, yeah. one pick. I mean, I would think for the most part you're going to take a four touchdown to one interception ratio in, in any game. But I do, I think Michigan State fans would point at it too. There were a couple times where, all of a sudden, he just kind of was out of sync, it seemed like, or the there whole passing attack. Uh, Keon Coleman was the guy that jumped out of the wide receivers. Uh, Trey Mosley, a pretty nice day, too. Um, but again, you know, plenty of good stuff there. Can I can I break my arm, pat myself on the back? Please. I thought this would be a team that would be more ground and pound, slow things down, that would help the defense out. I thought thought that's what we saw on Friday night. 
Like it wasn't as explosive. Although they, they I mean, they had some good plays. Don't get me wrong, but I, it, I think this will be more of what the Michigan State will see throughout this year. Well, here's one encouraging thing: gave up 193 passing yards, which is a lot better than they were doing last year, and that's on 36 attempts too. So yep. only 5.4 average, which is pretty low. Defensively, kind of picked up where they left off last year. They had seven sacks in Insane. this game. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Uh, one more thing that surprised me a little bit: only two running backs carried the ball for Michigan State in this game. With that deep running back room, I expected a little bit more. One thing to keep in mind, Western Michigan is a well-coached and well-recruited team. So maybe this is a better win than I'm than I'm thinking. There you go. I think that's honestly a really great point to bring up. Jalen Berger, 16 carries, 120 yards. Jarek Broussard, 10 carries, 54 yards, 197 yards rushing, 6.2-yard average. Uh, the one pick overall... I mean, they were right at, they didn't quite cover the spread, but this was sort of the game that Vegas was expecting. Yep. So maybe it's not all that surprising, but in the end, um, you you don't expect to be playing your best football during week one. So I think you're overall pretty happy if you're a Michigan State fan uh, with the win. They obviously moved to 1-0. and All right, our last game on Friday night, Indiana 23 Illinois 20, the Hoosiers with 362 yards of total offense, the Illini with 451. All right. Can I can I make a statement first since you're the, yep, the Illini go for fan? It. Um, you look at the rushing totals. Yeah. It is so I mean, Illinois had uh uh 43 carries, 216 yards rushing. Illinois total, correct? No, I've got 54 carries for 216, okay, average of 4.0. Okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, and Indiana rushing 20, uh, 26 carries, 32 yards, a, a 1.2 yard yeah. average Yeah. in big 10. It, I mean, that's cliche. I was going to say in big 10 play, it's hard to win a game in any football contest. Sure. It is hard to win a game when there is that disparaging of stats. Um, I was watching it with, uh, watching this full game with my mom and, and my first grader. Okay. Um, we both thought my mom's a football. She's a football mom. Yeah. We both thought Illinois was in control and the better team most of the time. Okay. But the big plays <clears throat> went Indiana's way. Um, had a chance to put the game away. Couple calls went there against them. Yep. All right, I'll shut up now. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, the better team wouldn't have eight penalties to three penalties. The better team wouldn't have four turnovers to two turnovers. The better team wouldn't be dropping footballs, including a touchdown catch. And I'm not talking about the ones that the, the one that the ref called, I'm talking about a dropped touchdown catch. So that's two. Now the, the one that the ref took away was really bad. I, okay. It was bad. That was bad. That, like I have yet to talk to somebody that watched the game that didn't think that was a completed catch. Touchdown. And, and another one going for it. And, you can always look back and say hindsight twenty twenty, but going for it on the fourth and one from the goal line, getting stuffed. You know, I think it was three times in a row. You didn't even get the field goal there. Nope. Walk out there, no points. There's a lot of things that there was just a ton of mistakes on the Illinois side. There's a ton of mistakes. Um, kind of reminded me of the Maryland game last year. A little bit, yeah. S- similar. Bit. Um, at, towards the end of the game, uh, uh, Illinois was up. I think they had a chance to go up by a touchdown if they kicked the field goal. Brett chose to Beetle chose to go for it. Yeah. Um, side note, I don't know if you'll find this funny, but you know, Beetle and uh, uh, Doug the Carthaginian were 
roommates all through college at Iowa. So my mom knows Beetle. And after she, he rolled out uh, uh, the offense to go for it at the goal line, my mom goes, oh, Brett, just kick the field goal. <laughs> I love it. That's and I, hilarious. And I think she was right. That, well, I yeah. would have kicked the field goal at that time. Yeah. But then a, I, I would say a inconsistent, I think is fair, Hoosier offense gets the ball with just over two minutes to and go. And boy, look like a different team. Oh, my gosh. I feel like so I want to talk, 80% of their successful offensive plays came in that drive. So I want to talk a little bit. Well, not a little bit. I want to talk a lot about the Hoosiers right now. First thing that sticks out to me is Connor Bazelak. You got to be incredibly relieved as a Hoosier fan that he is there. If if you don't have him, what does this team look like? I don't I don't know. He's a godsend. He gives you hope for this year. Well, I mean, maybe not uh, agree with you. Maybe not completely fair to Jack Tuttle because we haven't seen what Tuttle would look like in this new look offense. And, I guess. And play okay. calling. But I mostly I, agree with like I, there were times where Connor Bazelag stepped up in the pocket yeah. and made throws yeah. like he overall looked more like the the Bazelak from his freshman year when he did well in the SEC than what and, happened last and year. And look, if they if the Hoosiers lose this game, how many games can you look forward on their schedule and say, "Okay, we got a shot in that one." This just it it's it turns around their season, I think. There's such an important win turn that doesn't make sense turn around the season, but it, it just gives them hope. It Agreed. It's not. It's not one nine nine in the regular or the the conference yep. season. Yep. So you're feeling good. Cam Jones defensively has stepped right in, and he has taken the place of uh, what's what's his name last year. Forget um, his name. Uh, Micah McFadden. Micah McFadden. He I mean, is dude, Micah McFadden. Twelve now. total tackles, a sack, and a tackle for loss. Like in it, I that <laughs> sometimes doesn't sound like a stat line that splashed off like. It just seemed like they were saying his name all the time, like he was always around. It seemed like he was in every play. And then offensively, even though he wasn't the leading receiver, Cam Camper was the leading receiver, but DJ Matthews was the guy who stuck out to me. I was literally going to say, literally going to say the exact same thing. Cam Camper was the big splashy stats guy, but like, and DJ Matthews went, remember how good he looked two years ago during the good year? He was on the back of a milk carton all of last year. He came back. Fan, so you got a playmaker defensively, you got a playmaker offensively, you got a quarterback that get, uh, gives you hope. So way to go, Hoosiers! Absolutely gutty win. This is, I would say, a culture win. Not that that means Illinois is bad. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is, there's a lot of teams that wouldn't have pulled that out. For, uh, but, for sure, but you got to give Tommy Allen credit. And by the way, Shivers, the running back. Oh my gosh, that guy wanted to go back to the SEC yeah. after the after first, dude. I still like me a good hit. That first hit he took in was that game. Awesome. Devin Witherspoon. Clean. No penalty. You need, every time you watch a hit now, you're like, oh, God, don't call it. Don't call it. Well, here's never... the thing I've noticed, though. They used to just automatically flag hard hits as targeting, right? Correct. Even if it was it, clean. They I, don't do that anymore. I think I agree with you. No. They, and they... I think they're not calling as many, and they're reversing more. Yes. A little bit more. Not that... You know, it's not quite to where I'd want. But also just wanted to point out Johnny Newton for Illinois was an absolute wrecking ball on the defensive line. Well, the the Brown brothers were both wrecking balls. Chase Brown, 36 carries, 199 yards. Cindy Brown, 12 tackles. Um, Tommy DeVito was good. He was solid. Yeah, I mean, mean, this is what I was hoping for when he transferred. And they they obviously are trying to get the ball to Juice.0 whenever they can. Nine catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown. He is electric with the ball in his hand. He is. And back to Tommy DeVito, the thing I really liked, he ran for four uh, first downs. Ran for four. He looks good. Tommy DeVito looks good. I like him. Yeah, absolutely. 
with the win, Indiana moves to 1-0. and With the loss, the Illini fall to 1-1. One and one. All right, that moves us on to Saturday. We had seven games on Saturday, September 3rd. First up, Michigan 51, Colorado State 7. Almost nailed that score, too. I had 52-10. to 10. Uh, The Wolverines with 440 yards of total offense to the Rams. 219. Um, so this was mostly what I was expecting in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't... There's nothing about the score and the total yards that catches the headlines. What catches the headlines is this is the one of the more unique quarterback situations that you're going to find which is that this game was the Cade McNamara game. Next year, next game is the J.J. McCarthy game. Um, won the game, put up a lot of points, but Cade didn't exactly look fantastic. He didn't look great. He looked pretty inconsistent, in fact. Yeah. Now, 51-7, to seven, it's hard to complain about a lot of that, but if you can... If there is a complaint, you look at the stat sheet and nothing really jumps out. As you'd expect, fifty-one to seven, somebody had you know two hundred yards rushing, one hundred fifty yards receiving, quarterback threw for a bunch of touchdowns. None of that really happened. Now, it was just basically what it was. Is it was just so obvious how much better Michigan was on both sides of the line and just I don't know overall talent that it just showed itself out as the game continued on. That's the best way I can describe it. And one other reason that no pass catchers had a ton of stats, there were 15 players that caught balls in this game for Just Michigan. Spread it around. Everywhere. They wanted, ev- they have, we've talked about <clears throat> how deep the receiving core is. They were trying to make a point to yeah. get everybody in the game and get reps. But Cade McNamara, Cade McNamara only wound up 9 of 18 for 136 yards and a touchdown, no pick. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What I, Did you notice J.J. McCarthy was 4-4 four four passing with 30 yards and had three rushes for 50 yards and a touchdown? So, like, even during the game that was supposed to be the Cade McNamara game, there was enough that happened for Michigan fans to say J.J. should be the guy. And, and I've started to sense a groundswell of even non-Michigan fans that are now seeming to be in J.J. McCarthy's camp. And now J.J. McCarthy gets to do it against Hawaii. Okay, what like, if... So well, it's Hawaii. That's the problem. They're so bad. They're so bad. So it's hard to. It's going to be hard to judge. But what if he just has a great game? Is it goes back to that whole Harbaugh conversation that you and Dustin Shooty had? Was this to keep them both there? And was it also just to say, "Hey, look, I played them both, and look, McCarthy was better." I mean, is is this really three D checkers type of stuff? Might be. Done? I know. I wouldn't put it past. I just him. can't wait to see what it looks like next week. I think I have a feeling what it's going to look like. And th- is or was there a reason he started McCarthy against Hawaii? This is how conspiracy theories start. <laughs> uh, Blake Corum, thirteen carries, seventy-six yards, touchdown. Donnie Edwards, twelve uh, for sixty-four. Team rushing, forty carries, two hundred thirty-four yards, five point nine yard, yard, yard average. Maisie Smith, two and a half tackles and tackles for total tackles for loss. The defense settled into itself pretty well that's pretty much what i expected it to look like see bradley robbins yeah see what he looks like yeah see the shaved head yeah handlebar mustache looks good i want to party with that guy you need a guy that looks like that on your team <clears throat> and, you know? and you need him to be the punter in the big 10 even better <laughs> we're gonna get to we're gonna get to punters a little bit later by the way still booming it 47 yard average yeah. oh my he, gosh he looked great dude there's there was punting all over the place we're obviously we didn't discuss this before we're gonna save one punter 
performance till the very end. Correct. Okay. I, I didn't I think figure I, I had we, to discuss We didn't it. need to discuss that. Okay. <laughs> I figured as much, but um, um, it, but I do want to comment. The punting across the Big Ten, I mean, I just kept sending the same tweet over and over. Like, it's it's uh, uh, Russell Crowe from the Gladiator. Every time a Big Ten punter would nail a punt, like, are you not entertained, man? This is There was one exception. There was, and it made a big it made a big difference in the game too. We're talking you, about Illinois, Indiana. You, you looked really concerned when you said that. Yeah, to me. I was hoping maybe you just. Like, I'm not happy about it. You shouldn't be. It's it's go to go from Blake Hayes to that is oh it's disconcerting. But uh, with the win, obviously Michigan moves to a dominating one and zero. There we go. Iowa seven, South Dakota State three. So they scored a touchdown. <laughs> the Hawkeyes with. 166 yards of total oh, offense goodness. to the Jacks, 120. Okay, Gracious. here we go. Kurt, like, okay, here's here's a here was a funny quote. This is my mom again. She's she's she was busy, big this week. <laughs> okay. So shout out to my mom again because I brought the first grader down, just me and the first grader. Okay. I went to the game with my pops and older brothers and cousins and you know our tailgate tailgate group. Mom stayed home and looked after the first grader. Okay, it was hot. It was pretty hot in Kinnick, which adds to your frustration. Yeah. You know, when you're sitting in big metal bleachers yeah. and everything. Um, we get home and all of us are red-faced and sweaty and probably didn't drink as much water as we did alcohol. And my mom goes, you know, I felt sorry for you guys. At least I could switch channels every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Like, oh, let me... Obviously, anybody... That watched the game. And let me say this, Kurt. It's not just Iowa fans that are commenting on the Iowa offense. So I think it's okay if we have a somewhat healthy conversation about this. Because point being is you don't have to be an Iowa fan to be talking about the Iowa offense. No. Like, right now. I mean, I think the whole world is talking about the Iowa offense right now. I was sitting there with Darren the American. And we're trying to make sense of what we are seeing in front of us from our, you know, our, our vantage point in, inside Kinnick Stadium. Okay. And like, you really get a sense that you were essentially watching a moment in college football history. I'm not, I mean that in a somewhat joking fashion. Don't get me wrong. But do you know what I'm, do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're sitting there, you're like, you're watching something right now. Unique. Right. So this is the best explanation I can give is, for the past two weeks leading up to the college football season, the thing that everybody was talking about is the Manti Teo documentary that's on Netflix. Which doesn't the, interest me at all. I haven't watched it. But it's the catfishing yeah. thing, right? Are they going to make a, a Netflix documentary about this offensive performance 15 years into the future where they interview people that were at the game and, and you're just amazed at what you saw? I Look, I know that SDSU is a good FCS program. But even if it was a good FBS program, how often does a Power 5 team only put up 166 yards? By the way, the Jacks had 12 penalties in the game. Yeah. You couldn't – that didn't give you more chances to score? And and then obviously the field position, which we'll get into Then the, the field end. position. I mean, we just – like we just kept saying, you know, and this is my brother and I, but – any, but any Iowa fan could, you know, um, um, insert. There would be the same things. But you just kept seeing how many times Iowa would get the ball on the short side of the field. And you're like, right. it's time. Okay. Yeah, we're, it's gonna, someone's going to bust loose. 
So this these were my West champs that I predicted, right? One of the reasons is there's no way their offense can get worse from what it was. It has to get better. There's certainly, these are these are actual paid football coaches. They're going to find a way to improve what happened last year. And it's worse than last year. So I will give a shout-out to Big Game Boomer right now in that he just kept all offseason talking about how bad Brian Ferentz and the offense is. And I'm like, you know, Boomer, we do have the ability to get better. As of right now, from what we saw, I don't think we do. No. And now the other thing I would say is that he, he also has called Iowa fans cocky. Co- cocky? Like, we like that's what so many of us were talking about at our tailgate spot. We're like, if you gave us a top 40 rushing attack and a top 80 passing attack, we would feel like heyday Oregon offense. Yeah. That's what it would feel to us. We have our expectations set so low that you could roll over them and they and they still get somehow get underneath our expectations. This is Iowa, the vaunted Iowa with their historic offensive lines that rushed for 57 yards against an FCS team. 1.6 yard average. Now, I will say uh uh LaShawn Williams 24 carries 72 yards. A lot of that is sacks from our quarterback, which we'll okay. get into. So I'm just saying, like, and okay. I'm not saying so, the rushing, so, that is not to say the rushing sure. attack was good. I'm saying, you know, a lot of that is on the sacks. Real quick before we move on to the players and the stats, but let me ask you this, Kurt. There was booing. Good. Okay. Because, and, and I, okay, let me clarify. I don't mean good. No. Like, I'm glad we're booing. No Iowa fan. Well, no, you don't want to. Have- no Iowa fan shows up at Kinnick Stadium, all excited to watch Big Ten football and their and their favorite team, hoping that they get to boo parts no. of the program. But you have to let it be known this what, is unacceptable. What are you supposed to do? You're you're after you watch your offense leave the field for the seventh time in a row without scoring a touchdown, right, or a field goal, whatever. You're not going to cheer. Right? No. So your only two other options are to do nothing or boo. What college, What what committed fan base of any program, it doesn't have to be in the Big Ten or obviously Iowa, how many of them wouldn't boo? Every fan base boos. Everyone. I'm not a booer myself. I don't actually. I would have been booing. I don't actually do the physical boo, but I'll, I'll throw out an. A swear word. Yeah, a bleep you. And yeah. what the bleep are we doing stuff? Like, I don't... If you care that much about a program... I, I bring it up because, like, it, it's it been a point of contention the last 24 hours. Nah, like, you, people are... You have to... And, okay. and then, on. you know what else you have to do is... Right now, you have to make a major change. Something I, I, serious has to happen. Something serious has now, to happen. Now, before the next game. Before, before we get to the stats, just a couple of things to throw out. Iowa scored exactly... Uh, this is a tweet from, I think it was ESPN Stats and Info. Uh, Iowa scored... Okay, I'm going to give you the... The stat that was show that was given on our text thread, and I'm going to give you my buddy Hartsey's response. Okay. okay, in unison, Iowa scored exactly seven points today. The Hawkeyes didn't score a touchdown. I was the only team to score exactly seven points without a touchdown since at least the year 2000. To which my buddy Hartsey said, "Hey, who said this offense can't break records?" <laughs> there you go. Here's yep. another one from David Eicholt. Check the trend this morning since. Iowa started 6-0 and last year. 
They have scored 11 offensive touchdowns in nine games. That results in 66 points. Iowa's special teams and defense have scored 77 points in those same nine games. Now that's counting extra points and field goals with special teams. But, but they got outscored this game. The offense got outscored four to four three. To three. So I want to say this. This is difficult, but like I love Spencer Petrus as a human. If you've heard him interviewed, he is going to be a professional in something else in life, but I don't think it's going to be playing the position of quarterback. This, we, at this point, to me, the majority of the booing was not towards Spencer Petrus per se. It was towards the coaches. Yeah. Rolling Spencer Petrus out in this style of offense. Yeah. Expecting him to, it, it, like the joke, I, there's lots of jokes, but I basically am like, I'm, I'm, I'm known amongst my family and friends being horrible at math. It would be like putting an algebra test in front of me 20 times in a row, thinking on that 20th time, I'm going to figure algebra out. It's not going to happen. Do you, is there anyone on the team that ran triple option in high school? We Let's have, do that. There's two mobile quarterbacks in the second and third string. So, so like, Padilla, who's the third? Uh, Joey Lavas. So, okay. And w- what I'm getting at here is like Iowa fans want to be um, – uh, special in their critiqueness, so they don't talk about just straight. Like it's cliche to talk about the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. So then they they are trying to put the majority of the blame on the offensive line. I don't know. The okay. The you offensive can, you can do a lot with an offensive line that isn't that great. Thank you. Yes. I mean, look, and, we, you know what we didn't mention the Indiana game? Their offensive line is garbage. And they, they put up 330 passing yards correct. or whatever it was. I can go back and look at it. Thank you. Find the exact freaking number for you here. Another thing here, and you don't have to pick up. You know, 330 have, yards passing. Okay. And here's, here's you, you get home after the game and you start, you know, watching the afternoon games and the evening games. Do you know how many times I watched offensive line perfectly block up a passing play? About one out of ten. Because it is extremely hard for offensive lines to perfectly pass, uh, uh, pass pro. Okay, so you know what happens a lot: a quarterback senses it, yeah, and gets out of the pocket, yeah. resets his feet, and then makes a play, or he just takes off running. Every time the pocket collapses, the play's over. Yeah, I th- you know, I, I think moving to more mobile quarterback. I'm not saying Padilla is just going to make it look tremendously better but then also incorporating intentionally running the quarterback in that offense just to throw off the defense i think move the try move that the pocket how about pre-snap movement people in motion yeah. shifts the only thing that the defenses are doing right now is they are following our fullback right to the play do you think is it possible because this is so putrid. I mean, I've watched, I know bad football. If anybody knows bad football, I know bad football. I don't remember Illinois' offense ever being this bad in a game. I don't remember any offense being this bad that I've watched in Big Ten play. Maybe, I mean, even maybe there's Rutgers teams. I don't know. I don't remember them doing this, really. This is bad. This maybe is bad. They, maybe they did. There was that one unfortunate Kansas game. Um, but I don't know. Some major has to happen. I agree. Major. I mean, it's just, and we're talking a lot on this because I think this was one of the biggest stories of the entire weekend. Of course it was. Okay, you agree. 
Because yeah. again, I'm looking at it from. By the way, I'm looking at it through the lens of an Iowa fan, so I don't, you know. I want to make it clear. When it was five to three, I desperately wanted the game to end five to three, just because it was so bad. Just let's make it as bad as possible. I just desperately wanted the game to end. Yeah, I, I wanted it that was too. Hot, like that last possession that SESU had, the, the fans were spent. We couldn't muster more screaming for our defense. Yeah. Like we were honestly, I'm not joking. Like we were spent. Speaking of though, for our defense, dude. Jack Campbell was all over the place. Yeah. 11 tackles, TFL, which was resulted in the safety. Logan Lee, Joe Evans, they had, what, five total, six total sacks and tackles for loss. Like, honestly, God, there was a point where Darren and I looked at each other, and we were up five to three, and we're like, the coaches are are comfortable with their two-point two lead. They did, They and they kept running the ball because there never was a threat by no, SDSU. No. And I'm going to tell you something right now. SDSU, if that team rips off like 10 wins, that that does not show well, honestly, to the FCS to me. If Iowa had even a in, in like a 2000 our 2018 or 19 offense with Nate Stanley, sure. we win that game 31 to 3. Oh, well, yeah. Okay, so you agree with that. Yeah. Again, like I'm trying I mean, to validate what, No, one of the things I was thinking is how good was Nate Stanley? Right? If if they the, just the, go the from... line the line was better, and Nate Stanley is better than that because Nate Stanley w- would would push guys off of him and, and extend plays. Okay, I was I had a thought earlier that I kind of blanked on. Is it possible that someone figured out the the Hawks' offensive calls and everyone knows it? Everyone knows exactly what they're going to run. I mean, it's because it's that, and the fact that I'm asking the question that's how bad it is. I mean, you got you kind of got me stunned here. Like so, something's going on to be this bad. Still, though, with the win, <laughs> Iowa moves to one and zero. We will talk a little bit later about a performance in this game. I think we all know what that's going to be. Moving on. Sorry that took so long, but I thought it was it was a discussion that was going to happen. I think everyone wants to hear that. I think so too. Uh, next up, Maryland thirty-one, Buffalo ten. The Terps with four hundred and forty-six yards of total offense to the Bulls. 268, um, not exactly the game we were expecting out of Leah Tagaviola and just the the overall Maryland experience. Well, yeah, and I think we kind of expected, I know you and Dustin both expected something in the neighborhood of 63 to 7 or something like that. The reason that didn't happen is because Tua was kind of off of his game yesterday. He was. He, was. Uh, he didn't throw a touchdown, which I believe is the first time. <laughs> Hi, buddy. In his career, I yeah. did not throw a touchdown. First time in his career, I believe, is is the stat there. Um, but rewinding a little bit, first possession in, in the first half, touchdown. Yeah. First possession in the second half, touchdown. It's, we it's talk- our guy locks just he just he calls he calls plays, man. He does. He does. He's. They did hit a field goal, so we all had to drink. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there something was just a little bit so, off. So Leah Tagaviola, twenty four of thirty four for two hundred ninety yards. That's Leah. Yeah, but zero touchdowns, one pick. It's yeah. just and he missed fired on a lot of throws. He did. the The timing was off. Rakeem Jarrett six for one ten. Jayshon Jones four for seventy. Uh, freshman freshman running back Roman Hembry good seven. I mean, honestly, everything was there that you expected it to be. Just didn't hit the big plays, the pass plays, and he just missed on guys that probably and then sometimes would result in touchdowns. And I'm gonna say I was kind of impressed by the running back room in general. Yep. So. Antoine Little John. I wouldn't worry about this because I think they're going to be just fine offensively. I think the passing game will come around. So 
I think it's just, you know, first game jitters. And another thing to feel good about, this was a better looking defense. Like, I don't know what's yep. going to happen to Buffalo. My guess is there's going to be football con- t- football contests where they're going to put up a lot of points at some point. But, I mean, uh, uh, holding the Bulls to 38 carries for 108 yards, only a 2.8 yard average. Point I'm trying to make is there was a time when Maryland would give up a 5.0 yard average to, to air yep. that was running against them. This is an improved defense as well. So I wonder if this is going to be a little bit more muted scores. Like, is maybe. there something here to look at? Yeah, maybe he's going to play some more balanced football than than what we've seen from him in the past. And if it, and if they do, I tend to believe that will help the entire I think so. record. And, okay, even without it being a great game for Maryland, I still think these they're in the second echelon in the East. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes, they are. With the win, Maryland moves to 1-0. Next game up, I tell you what, maybe this was the performance of the weekend. Rubbing it in my face. Maryland fans were ticked off at me last year. This year, it is Rutgers fans. (laughs) Rutgers 22, Boston College 21. The Scarlet Knights with 322 yards of total offense to the Eagles, 312. Boston College coming into this game had won 11 straight over Rutgers. Greg Schiano says... No more of that crap. I mean, we've got a really good mm. quarterback for Boston College with a really good wide receiver. They showed out three touchdowns for the quarterback. The receiver, Zay Jones, he had a touchdown. There seemed to be, in my mind, more bankable talent that was playing for Boston College. They're playing at home. Mm-hmm. First game of the year. Rutgers goes in and gets it done. Well, and not just that. They were basically behind the whole game. And, it kind of, you know, you just kind of figured, okay, it's BC. Rutgers not thinking they're going to have a great season. They should just keep running away with it. And Rutgers wouldn't go away. And then they came back and won the game, too. This like, is an enormous like confidence builder. Boston College pulled away twice <clears throat> yeah. in this game. And twice Rutgers came back. Then they get the lead. Um, there wasn't – I mean, the quarterback – combination of Evan Simon and Gavin Wimsett. I'm still trying to figure out exactly I, what's going on. There. I, I think Shiano's still trying to figure out exactly okay. what's going Is on. That so, fair? so the, like we didn't even like going into the game, it was who's going to start Noah Vedral or Gavin Wimsett. Noah's not even playing. Didn't even play. And then Evan Simon throws more, has more passing attempts than Gavin Wimsett. It, I, but remember he was doing this last year too. I think, He's frustrated, I think, with his quarterback position, and that's the bad news coming out of this game is they still don't have a quarterback. I mean, 110 passing yards on 22 attempts through an interception doesn't look great, but, hey, still still pulled it out. Um, Kyle Manungai, explosive, 19 carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown. Manungai looked great. Um, uh, the other guy, um, uh, damn, I, Salam. Salam yeah. looked good, too. But, and then Aaron Crookshank, they're using him in the, you know, kind of the jack of all trades. Uh, three ca- three carries, 27 yards, and a touchdown. There's no receiver stats to pull out because, I mean, basically it was just every guy had two or three But they they were sparked by a fumble recovery. They were sparked by an interception. And they did all of that despite 10 penalties, which I – this is becoming a signature of Shiano's team. I don't know. It's a, it's a culture thing where – they're just going to keep fighting, and they're if they have to bubble tape and duct tape the thing together to pull it back together and get the win, they can do that. But this penalty thing is a problem. Gotta that get they've got to fix. I mean, 
And then you got to wonder, I mean, it'll be interesting to just see what happens to Boston College after this. But let me say this, like, people love to have a punching bag to punch for who's the worst team in the Big Ten. Oh, yeah. Many people, maybe even people that are recording a podcast right now, thought that Rutgers could be that team that was the worst team in the Big yeah. Ten. If they still wind up struggling, okay? I don't know what Rutgers' final record is going to be, but if they do wind up struggling, they got to win over the ACC in Boston College. Boston College was expected by many to go 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, maybe even 8-4. and four. Yeah, yeah. Like, again, this was a tough spot for Rutgers to go in, so it's a big win for Rutgers. It's a nice win for the Big Ten. Of course. 212 yards rushing for Rutgers, 29 for BC. Dude. Wow. Yeah, and that's... The defense is just kind of pulled together too for the Scarlet Knights. So. I know. So and, they don't win. Hey, we've been we've been told that they've upgraded at every position group. I still don't believe it, but at least maybe defensive line. I I might have to start with that and agree there. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel aging technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produces one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sip neat or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag Ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder option so you can see where to find Amador at www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. That is the first time I have not screwed that new tagline up. Pretty happy about myself there. Sounded beautiful. All right, moving into the afternoon. Nebraska 38, North Dakota 17. The Huskers with 437 yards of total offense to the Fighting Hawks. 306, um, kind of the stat and score that you expected. A little bit. But? Didn't look how you thought it was going to look. You go. Seven to seven at halftime. I think it's kind of inexcusable. They weren't doing much right offensively. The defense looked pretty poor as well. I I thought um, they they weren't getting in the backfield. I don't think I they think had any you, sacks. I think if you pulled Nebraska fans, all right. What I had what I had said in a, a text was. I think there's as many things to be enthused about for Nebraska fans as there are to be scared about as Nebraska fans. I think the majority of the anxiety is on the defensive side of the ball. Like it didn't look, there are available yards, both rushing and passing against this defense. It seems like whenever they try to plug a hole on one side, something else pops up on the other point being is they finally Nebraska fans wanted to see some blitzing chins does that. And then big rushing plays got popped on the other side. Like it, it was, there was issues. There was issues. Um, and okay. I'm trying to decide what I want to talk about first. That weird squibs onside kick looking thing. What in the hell are it, you thinking Scott? And it wasn't, it wasn't an onside kick. And it, I it would argue this weird squib. We think we're going to catch him off guard thing. I think what they were trying to do was hit one of the front line guys and have it bounce off of them. I, I, I saw that as a as a guess thrown out. D- just stop, Scott. You are thinking too much. And Bill Bush too. I think he's overseeing this. Like I feel like. Okay, my my, my thought process there is, 
they they're trying so hard to prove that their special teams is in good shape that they're yeah. overthinking it. Maybe. Do you think, do you think that's me overthinking their situation? I don't know, but it's it's weird. I, what you need is a more level-headed person standing next to Scott Frost saying, don't do, don't that. do that. Like a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> that's aggressive, but like, okay, here's another thing. That's but that's how ridiculous it's that ridiculous. was. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, I could not believe. I, I, just, I just missed it because we we're still coming back from the Iowa game. I rewatched it today, and I'm like, no, that was that was odd. I could not believe what I was watching. It was odd. It was bad. Like, and then you... Can you imagine if they would have lost this game to an FCS team and that was another part of the deal? Oh God. He, he would have, Why would you risk it? I don't know. And here, here's another thing, too, that's interesting. And, again, this is, this is the stuff that I saw, okay? Meaning Nebraska fans talking. There was something going on between Scott Frost and Mark Whipple. Well, that was the other thing I wanted to talk okay. about. We have to talk about that. Who was calling the plays and who and who I mean, was doing it when? It, it seemed like the consensus was Whipple was calling the plays in the first half. Scott Frost out of the the okay. locker room in the second half called the plays. They went right down the field and scored a touchdown. I don't know if he continued for the entirety of the second half or not, but the offense woke up. And here's what else they did. We have been asking them to run the ball with a running back, do it well, and then lean on that since we started this podcast. That's exactly what they did. Finally, late in the game. And it looked great. Can I get back to the the Frost Whipple? Well, we, yes. So first of all, I know you're not a huge Marvel fan, but there is a scene in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy 2, okay? Where where Peter Quill and they're 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 flying the spaceship the Milano, okay? Okay. And Peter Quill and Ricky or Rocket Raccoon, okay? Yep. That's the, I'm familiar with the character. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, they both can control the ship. And they're fighting back and forth okay. on who's going to get through the asteroid field. Okay. And they keep fighting and they're going to get killed because they're one of them needs to take control. Sure. That's what I felt like with Scott Frost and Mark Whipple. It's like, okay, who who has control? But don't you think Scott Frost took control yes. away from him? Yes. Because yeah. what I think is going on is Scott Frost is like, if I'm going to go out, yeah, I'm going to go out on my... Term, I'm going to be the terms. one that, yeah, loses it. And if it, what I think happened, I think Scott Frost saved that game. That is my belief. Oh, I, I you, mean, you're, you're confident of that. I, I'm not saying I'm confident. That's just, that's the way I experienced it. That's what I got from the game myself. Like, to I can't me, be sure that's what happened. Speaking of schemed up to me, Nebraska went down the field with the called, you know, the, the game plan that Whipple had laid out. Okay. Yep. North Dakota adjusted. There wasn't much for offense after. I mean, there was no offense no. for Nebraska the rest of the half. Scott Frost is fuming at halftime, and he's like, what you're trying to do running the ball right now is not going to work. And eventually he's like, this is what we're going to do. And they started switching up the rushing attack, and it took off. Okay, if you think, go back to the Northwestern game. Looked, obviously looked great in the first half. Northwestern adjusted. Looked terrible in the second half. Yep. I, I just is and, it just and the, a, com, the comments after the Northwestern game when Scott Frost said, as an offensive staff, we're going to have to learn that you have to be a little bit more creative. Yeah. This was Scott Frost's way of saying, this is how you have to be more creative. Yeah. Now, Nebraska fans also give Whipple credit because the, the 
the passing concepts are much better under Whipple than they were under Frost. Okay. So another comparison, it's like a kid having two divorced parents living in the same house where you're like, you can go to, from, to get something from each one of them, but because they talked about, can they marry it, marry it together? This isn't a marriage to me right now. This that is two independent situations. Doesn't seem like it. But there does seem to be a rushing acumen from Frost and a passing acumen from Whipple. I don't know if they can figure it out. There is something there if they can. Yeah. But that's okay. got to get figured out. The defense is more concerning. But a shout out to Anthony Grant. Yeah. 23 carries, 189 yards, two touchdowns. He looks great. He could be – he's probably the second for for uh, um, uh, Big Ten Player of the Week. He sure. would be in the running. Trey Palmer is also a big, splashy player, too. I don't know where they would be well, without him. Also, not just Anthony Grant. A.J. Allen had 11 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown as well. So the rushing attack looked great. Nice one-two punch. And think of how bad we felt about the rushing attack after they played Northwestern. Yeah. And it was bad through the first half. Completely different. Very strange. The Very strange. With the win, Nebraska moves to one and one. Next game up, Wisconsin 38, Illinois State 0. The Badgers with 440 yards of total offense to the Redbirds, 243. This is pretty much what we thought it would look like, but... Okay, go ahead. This looked like Wisconsin, like okay. the Wisconsin we're used to. Okay, I, I mostly agree with you. Okay, the defense looked good. Offense looked very good. Quarterback play looked yeah. good. Graham Mertz, 14 of 16, 218 yards and a touchdown. I think they had two drops, didn't they? I mean, he was accurate. He looked fantastic. Maybe maybe not. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they were both. He looked good. He Jimmy looked great. DK, three catches, 106 yards. I guess what I'm getting at is this, is Braylon Allen, by the way, another person that could be a Big Ten player of the week, 14 <clears throat> carries, 148 yards, two touchdowns, a 96-yard touchdown run. Um, I guess what I'm saying is this, is there was bursts of yeah. plays by the 96-yarder by Braylon yep. Allen, the 74-yarder by Chamiri DK, yep. the 100-yard yeah. yeah. interception run by Ton, by John Torchio. So, you did, so that's 21 points. I, yeah. In between the big plays, did you not feel like it? there was... They were bogged down a little bit. Yeah, I guess you're right. And so, a little bit of success by Illinois State moving the ball. A little. No, that more than you, we've seen historically, man. For Illinois State, an FCS team, to get 243 yards against the Badgers, that's... Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? For sure. But the, but keep in mind, this is a good quarterback for those that... Second, I said, D, DS and I, rightfully so, got called out for not bringing up the fact sure. that Zach Annick said, you would have remembered. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> absolutely. I, and, and by we, the way... based on that. I mean, still, he love his arm. It love is. his moxie. He's very confident, but he he did some annex he, he, he tries to make things happen. He tries to make tries a little too there, hard. Sometimes. There was probably nobody for the Redbirds trying to beat Wisconsin more than Zach Annex did. No, I'm sure. And by the way, thirty-eight nothing. We saw another score earlier. Oh, that's crazy. That was thirty-eight nothing, didn't we? Didn't even think of how that. about that two yeah. thirty-eight nothing shoutouts. And uh, well, that's funny. I don't know why I made that. Was a nice job. I didn't know why I made that connection. Didn't. I don't know why I didn't make that connection. By the way, Nick Herbig, not a huge stat line. Only four tackles, but it was two sacks and two tackles for us. <laughs> so when he was making plays, he made good ones. We are we are nitpicking a little bit. I'm nitpicking a little bit. With no, but Wisconsin, it's, it's but justified. I do, Okay, you do think it well, was because, justified. Well, because, okay, they have 221 rushing yards. 96 was on one play. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 
Yeah. If, and it's like, well, yeah, we got that rush. So you get credit for it. Sure. But even that one was the typical, it seemed like it was bottom up or bottomed, uh, bottled up. And then Agent Zero just went out the backside and ran down the field. So it means uh, Che th- Louis, 10 carries. No. Yeah, I mean, he looked good too. So, But if, um, you, if you do the math, 125 yards on 36 other carries. It, that wasn't dominant. No. And it's not like, I don't think Illinois State is supposed to be hardly any good. And it's an FCS program. So Wisconsin looked like Wisconsin. There's a couple things to keep your eye on, though. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Moving into the evening. Ohio State 21, Notre Dame 10. The Buckeyes with 395 yards of total offense to the Irish's 253. Dude, to me, unbelievable debut for defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. Fantastic. And you know what I liked about this game just overall is pulling the whole big tenness out of it. That it was 21 to 10. It right. wasn't like a 35 to 27 game. I just loved seeing a low scoring kind of, you know, punch in the mouth type of football yeah. game. That that involved Ohio State. That involved Ohio State, sure. Okay. Like now, I was trying to sift through the responses from Ohio State fans, which is always kind of a trip. One of the quotes that they said during the football contest that I wrote down that I thought was amazing: um, Ryan Day said to his football program at some point in the summer during fall camp, "They, meaning the outside people, they call you talented, but nobody calls you tough." Yeah. Eventually, and it was fair, eventually they found a little bit of toughness in this game. Well, that's what really closed this game out for them. They just started grinding on the ground. It was awesome. And uh, I had had meant to send this tweet late second quarter, early third quarter. I can't remember. But I'm watching the game, and I'm like, Ohio State should be running the ball more. But it didn't go because... Sometime internet and wireless goes to die and out in the farm in Iowa. It did, so that tweet never got sent. Finally, they got to it. It was mostly during the fourth quarter when they just decided to lean on the offensive yeah. line and run it right at Notre Dame. Is that fair? Yeah. And you know what? Maybe part of it is like, I, I know Ryan Day wants to throw the ball 50 times a game, score 50 points a game, but maybe it's like, how are we going to play this game to most effectively beat this opponent? Maybe we need to run the ball a little more. And maybe he could be okay looking at that option because what Notre Dame did was not completely unlike what Northwestern did in the Big Ten Championship two two and a half years ago. They were dropping seven the entire game. Yeah, so there just, were times they were dropping eight. So take advantage of it. And by the way, so Stroud's numbers weren't great. 24-34 for 223 and two touchdowns. That's what we expect from But I tell you what. His accuracy is just okay. pinpoint. I felt like people were like getting on him, dude. I see. He th- never got frustrated. No, he. Th- I thought there was times the pass pro wasn't great. He would get outside the yeah, rush. Yeah, he did very well with and that. And then like have the comeback routes that you know he would complete that leads there to the accuracy. There are very few quarterbacks that can make some of the throws he was making. I mean, in the world, in the NFL, even and against. That defense, on what defense they were running. And also, JSN went out of this game early with that hit by ex-Northwestern safety, by the way. Um, You could feel the air go out of the stadium when people realized JSN couldn't go. Because even Ohio State, okay? There's even an alpha male amongst the receivers at Ohio State. JSN is that alpha male. Yeah. When he went out, 
there was a oops, I crapped my pants a little bit. You could you could sense. You could sense it. And it took him a while. Good, good reference. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> and and you could tell it took a while for Ryan Day and 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 the offense to settle down. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Mika Igbuka, he came on nine catches, uh, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Xavier Johnson had a touchdown. The rushing attack was Travian Henderson, 91 yards. Mayan Williams, like I've been 84 yards and a touchdown. So I want, 172 I... yards and rushing, uh, uh, 4.9 yard average. Like I've, I've been calling Mayan Williams the muscle hamster. Um, but like with the name Mayan, we got to have some sort of Aztec-y. Yeah, we got to gotta come up We with can something. figure out something. Let's but figure, he, like he a, was tough. Some Aztec ruler we, there's, or Mayan yeah, ruler. We've not Watson or there's somebody out there that well, we got to Let's find. do some research on that <laughs> okay, one. But what I liked is 15 carries for Travian Henderson, 14 carries for Mayan Williams. I, I want to see a lot of him this year. But in the end, I would think if you're an Ohio State fan, you would be happy about the fact that these were the type of games that can that gave you issues or have at some point you out toughed a tough team and got the win, you know, and, and Ryan day felt like the need to explain things like guys, we just beat the fifth ranked team. That's got a lot of talent by 11 points. Yeah. And he, that is a good win. And he praised the defense as he should have to, when you only give up 253 yards to a team like that, uh, only 76 yards on the ground. It's great performance. And another thing like Tommy Eichenberg. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, he looked lost last year. He was just a tackling machine. Yeah, he was. And uh, it's almost like he had good coaching all right. camp. And then, oh man, I'm big boy up front on the D line, the D tackle. I'm, I'm oh, um, uh, I'm, he, he was amazing too. Yeah. I yep. mean, he it was, was an absolute wrecking ball. It's going to be interesting to watch this Ohio State defense develop over the year because this should give them confidence, and they'll grow on it. And if that's the case, and you hope JSN comes back healthy. Watch out. I'm excited to see potentially a more balanced team from Ohio State. Correct. Yeah. Don't it's this this is not a finished product. It's probably gonna get better. And with the win, obviously, uh Ohio State moves to one and oh. The big ten game of the week going all the way back to Thursday the first. I think this was the game of the week, too, if if I do say oh, so it was myself. A fantastic okay. game. Penn State thirty five. Purdue 31, the Nittany Lions with 406 yards of total offense to the Boilermakers, 426. Um, where do we start? <laughs> I, the first thing is I don't know after watching the game who the better team was. Okay, that's fair. I I think most Penn State fans would cop out to that. Like the general feeling I got is basically, thank God we got the we got the win. Yeah, and I I think we all knew. I think you predicted pretty close game. Shooty predicted a close game. I would have predicted a close game. We knew this was going to be a dogfight. Yeah, and it was. And it was. Um, there were times I thought Penn State was going to put it away. There were times I thought Purdue had it won. There were, so I kept going back and forth. At first, I'm like, okay, I think Penn State's a better team. Then I swung back. No, Purdue's a better team. No, Penn State's a better team. It, that happened four or five times during the game for me. Um, one of the funnier tweets was, gosh, I got to do a better job of like writing down who says things. But somebody put a tweet out that said something to the effect of, in this game, Sean Clifford had four touchdowns, but a pick that completely changed the game Yep, to go for, for Purdue, also had a rushing touchdown, went out of the game with a mysterious yes, illness yes. or injury. 
came back in and then led condition. Okay. Temporary condition. And then led his team to the game winning touchdown. Basically he goes, it was like Sean Clifford's entire career in a microcosm. He was a microcosm of the whole game though, wasn't he? Right. Because it's Sean Clifford. That's how it goes. I know. It's so like I in my personal belief, I don't believe I'm a Sean Clifford apologist. I believe people were jumping on Sean Clifford too much. They don't win this game without Sean Clifford. I mean, he came back and won the game for him. And, dude, he had five total touchdowns. Yeah. Like, the pick was inexcusable. I don't know where he was going with the ball. And that pick six completely changed the game. He was going to the Purdue defense is where he's going. Exactly. Uh, switching over to the other side, wasn't like Purdue didn't have some success, too. Aiden O'Connell, 29 of 58, 356 yards, a touchdown. I don't know if you know this. Did you know Aiden McConnell? Aiden O'Connell got married on the offseason. I do know that, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, Did you also know that leading receiver Charlie Jones, 12 catches, 153 yards, and a touchdown? Did you know he transferred away from Iowa to play with his childhood buddy, Aiden O'Connell, and and that Charlie Jones was excited to play in an offense where he can catch the ball? Also knew that, almost as if you watched the game. There's no way you couldn't know that. Jesus. So like, did you see my tweet? By the way, I don't know. Did I? Where'd this guy come from? Anyone know where this guy came? And I was getting hammered by some Iowa fans. I'm like, I know where he came from. Like, we are obviously talking about like how much uh, um, just these storylines get just beat it to death under our heads. It, all, it, we, so, we had to listen to that all year. Okay, and then they, it was Gus Johnson and um, uh, Joel Klatt. Joel Klatt, and I think they do a, typically oh, a really good job. It's probably the best. They are there. amongst the worst at just hammering narratives. Yeah, and you know Barry Alvarez's grandson, yeah. freaking the, the size of Minnesota's offensive line. We missed this one. Wow. When we tried to call which ones we were going to hear over and over. Oh, again. Oh, did we miss that? I don't think we ever brought up these specifically. But, okay, okay. Probably the story of the game, though, is Purdue, they they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, and Jeff Brom deserves some of the blame. Well, and it comes down to what we've been harping on them since we started the podcast is yeah. not being able to run the ball, and then in this case, not even trying to run the ball when you really should be running the ball, even if you're not good at it. You got to run the ball and kill some clock, right? Like so, I mean, down the down the last uh, series, they ran six plays. Five of them were passes, and three of them were incomplete. They got bailed out once with an incomplete by getting the first down yeah. on a third down play. Get the ball back. I mean, Kurt, I feel like you could make sense to say if they took three kneels and kneeled. Yes. On it, it would have made more sense. It would have given them a better chance of winning the game. <laughs> Dude, right? I don't believe Jeff Brom is getting torched enough for this in my personal No, opinion. he's probably not. But when, when they actually moved the ball that one time, I almost tweeted out Jeff Brom killing the clock in a way that only Jeff Brom can by throwing the ball. But then it didn't work out. And then the debate is, like, you try to get in the head of a guy like Jeff <clears throat> Brom, like, is it just a situation where they get so dialed into the game that they don't realize that they need to pull themselves out of the moment? And it's do like do the right thing. Stubborn or bad? Which one is it? They're just so bad that they can't do it. But still, even then, like you said, you just kneel on the damn thing. And they they had 
they had some some success every now and then rushing the ball. It like, wasn't terrible. Right. 70 yards on 23 attempts, which is bad, but not the bad we've seen in the past from Purdue. And also, again, even if you get two, three, and two yards, it, it was still better. Because then you can punt the ball away. Yeah. And you have took timeouts away from them. Uh, dude, it's, it's crazy. It, um, it was like the the bizarro coaching end of the game Yeah, from from Jeff Brown. A uh, little bit more on, on Penn State. Mitchell Tinsley, Brendan Strange, Keandre Lambert-Smith, all with at least a touchdown and 58 yards receiving. Penn State tried to get the rushing attack going. I give them credit for trying to stick with it, but it again looked like kind of what we've seen from yeah. the Penn State rushing attack. Nothing. Yeah, Penn State rushing attack didn't look great. Even you know the young phenoms, they looked like Singleton had a couple carries. There was a, yeah, I saw a little, just, couple jukes, and then yeah. it went away. Yeah, it was weird. And I, I don't see a Jahan Dotson yet on the team. I know. It's a, it'll be interesting to see like. I don't know what Penn State's identity is on offense after they they, no. they I still don't know. And and I'm starting to wonder if Mike Yursich isn't quite as good as I thought he was going oh, to be. Oh, I think I think that's decided. Okay. Yeah. I, I wonder what if we took a poll of Penn State fans on what they thought about that. I well. mean, I was I kept thinking about him the whole game, like I, this is not working out. I do think and then Manny Diaz is I thought it was overall pretty good. Yeah, he did okay. Um, it's a man he has defense. He's going to put your corners out on an Island and they need to make plays. Yeah. And I, I would say by the second half, those corners were showing out. Joey Porter is fantastic. Okay. Uh, those Penn state cornerbacks kind of help. I mean, they helped them win the game. They were a big part of that. You got to lean on those guys this year. All right. With the win, Penn state moves to one and O and Purdue falls to O and one, which gets us to the weekly Eisman. Don't think it's, uh, much not, of a not much of a contest. I don't. It think. is Iowa punter Tory Taylor. Um, Would you like me to do the the stats here? I got I got one here. I got one myself. Okay. Well, you go ahead. You okay. go ahead. Ten punts, which is sad, but four hundred seventy nine yards from those ten punts, forty seven point nine yard average. He put seven inside of the twenty yard line. He had punts downed at the one, the two, four, six. 8, 12, 20-yard line. No, that wasn't a chant. That wasn't a cheer. That was real. Those were the yard lines <laughs> that he downed the, the ball at. He had one that was returned, and he did have two touchbacks. But, wow. Talk but, about would, – would they have won the game with a bad punter? Abs- absolutely not. Yeah. A- absolutely not. Would they win the game with an average punter? Nope. Okay. So I don't know if they win the game – with, with a, a good, good punter. punter. They won the game because of an exceptional performance. We were talking at the tailgate where we're like, name, and we got some old timers in there, you know, in the tailgate spot. I'm like, off the top of your head, name a more dominant performance from an Iowa football player in Kinnick Stadium. Wow, really? And people are like, uh, well, there was like, you know, Chuck Hartley and um, Tavian Banks against Tulsa. The, uh, uh, I mean, it's in the conversation. Like the you pretty much nailed it. Taylor had 479. This is from Sean Bach. Taylor had 479 punt yards total on Saturday, 193 yards more than the total offense between both Iowa and South Dakota State. And and uh, uh, South Dakota State's coach after the show his or after the show after the game his 
they asked him about Tory Tory Taylor. He goes, "That guy's a freaking freak show." <laughs> I mean, he's he, a freak. He is. He Did, is. There was a play, that, and you got to give Lavar Wood, special teams coach at Iowa. I never. I just don't know if I've ever quite seen it done like this. But they were pointing probably within the around the fifty. Maybe it was on the other side of the fifty. But he just punted it way up in the air. Both gunners just went right down the field. They didn't even care about where the punt returner was at. Yep. And they both sat on the two-yard line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And caught the point as if they were the punt returner. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you not find that? No, I, it was it was amazing. It was, that is right down the goal line oh. with me and Darren the American. And, oh. like, dude, I get chills. Like, you're just, you're just like, that is incredible what they just did there. Yeah. I, I mean, and then Drew... Then there was like when he started out, there was missiles into the wind. Okay. That stuck. Yep. High ones that fluttered and bounced back. As I mean, a, there it, was a there was a there was a guy at the there was an Iowa fan at the game that had a shirt on that said "I cheer for the punting." I saw that. That was and awesome. He, he, it's a great shirt. It, it's but a fantastic shirt. With that being said, we may be taking this punting is winning thing right. a little too seriously. <laughs> Getting a, yeah, I think. You. God for Tory Taylor. I would like him. Like my brother said, we can appreciate Tory Taylor with six or seven punts a game. Sure, <laughs> right. <laughs> Still quite a bit, by the way. Um, it's just amazing to me that, and and let's out there correct me if I'm wrong. In the last five years, the Big Ten has elevated punting to an art form. It is incredible what you have to do as a punter to stand out amongst your Big Ten brethren. Yes. <laughs> like there were five guys punting up until Saturday that all could have been a big 10 special teams player of the week off their punting. Yep. They won't have a chance no. with uh-uh. Taylor. Nope. Because he was that good. Yep. I wonder if Blake Hayes was watching. Oh, I'm sure Blake. Was I heard, watching. I heard Pat McAfee like went like, Oh, he, I'm sure he went. He, he, had a, he, he, he had a big O just like talking about Tory Taylor. Yep. Who talks about punting more than me and you do? You know, maybe we'll get a shout-out from McAfee sometime. You would think. I mean... As much as we talk about it. Yeah. And this, and I felt like we were talking about punting before it was cool to talk about punting. I think we made it cool to talk about punting. Oh, there's a little shot to our egos right there. Anyways, great performance. I would maybe just like to see different facets. Yeah. Of our offensive formations have success. You got anything else, big man? No, sir. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I am Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. Dustin Schutte and I will be talking to you soon. See you, everybody.